This is Everyday Photography Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it. I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker. And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neo Modern, and Grumpy Old Man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Ruben. How you doing? Doing well. It is a lovely Monday. We have a great guest today, and I had such a fun weekend. So, I mean, all in, I'm, I'm ready to jump in and do this. Did you how solve, are you? How did, are you doing? Did you solve that overheating problem you had last week? Or you just like your <laughs> thermoregulation yes. was off? It was, it was kind of <laughs> not handling. Yes. Fortunately, the heat wave in San Francisco seems to have broken slightly, so I'm uh, <laughs> I'm able to cope. I didn't realize I was like Goldilocks, but yes, yes, um, I've I've acclimated. Thank you, thank well, you for checking up. Yes, I, I care about you. It's important <laughs> to me that you're good. Um, I got up this morning very early and did a photo walk with Angelica. We went out to the foggy oh. cliffs of Davenport and had a a cool multi-hour exploration of places we probably weren't supposed to go. It was great. That is amazing. Did you, any photos that immediately, you know, made the hairs in the back of your neck rise up that you can't wait to take a look at? Well, I, I shimmied down a cliff at one point and uh, immediately Ruben. thought that was a terrible idea. But uh, That got, sounds like a terrible idea. But but the real terrible idea, because Angelica was on the top of the cliff. <laughs> it gets worse. And I yes. was shooting back up at her on the top of the cliff and realizing there were these huge vertical cracks in the cliff. Like, you don't want to stand on a cliff with this. Like, it looked like it could fall at any point. So that was so fun. So how did you get down or back up? Oh, well, like which it, way? It's, it's well-traveled. I mean, I, I mean, the fact that I went down, it meant people had gone down this particular spot. But I, it was a lot for me. And uh, anyway, we had a great uh, a bunch of pictures this morning. And we have- a, Love we that have, you're clarifying. Yes, you're like, no. just, you know, it's me. So it's not <laughs> it's, like it was a Spider-Man maneuver. <laughs> Other people had walked there. I know. I, I'm certain you're imagining that I'm, uh, you know, an adventurer climbing down a cliff. That was not what it was. It was I was I'll, imagining you rappelling down with it, your belt. I mean, yes. I'm not saying it was had a wheelchair <laughs> ramp, but it was, you know, I was able to get down. So it was, it was fine. Speaking of adventure, we have a real adventurer with us today. <laughs> we do have a real adventurer today. I'm actually so excited. We have uh, today's guest is Chris Burkhart. So mm. he's an extremely talented, if you guys aren't familiar with him, extremely talented, like polyhyphenate, so photographer, storyteller, writer, filmmaker, mm. speaker. Uh, he's published actually over seven books. He kind of came to fame as a like California lifestyle surfer and travel photographer, but has now uh, expanded his repertoire and has even uh, made films, as I mentioned, and uh, recently published a children's book. He has a masterful way of bringing kind of the beauty of Earth and these remote spaces and places, bringing them to life in a way that... Um, it's just really inspiring and stunning. So let's That's get great. to it. Chris, welcome to our show. We're excited to talk about your amazing photography. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. And uh, honestly, I'm just, I'm always flattered when somebody wants to talk about photography of all things. And, and that it's a, a subject that, you know, can inspire and be such an amazing tool to connect people. This is a this is an honor, and thank you guys again just for, for thinking of me. Oh, we're happy. Well, you know, I've been a, a longtime fan of your work. It's so off-the-rails beautiful, and I think maybe like a lot of people, I get to live vicariously through your adventures all over the, the globe. Um, so thank you for doing that. How long have you been 
how long have you been holding a camera and doing work like that? I definitely got an early start. I would say, um, I, right after high school, I pretty much just like, you know, I didn't, I didn't emerge from the womb with a camera or anything like that, but right after high school, I really kind of focused on what I wanted to do. And I sort of cut out a lot of the periphery stuff in my life. Um, so to say, mm-hmm. and just honed in. And, and a big part of that was the fact that, you know, in my sort of early, I guess you could say, kind of life as a kid, I, I didn't travel much. I didn't, um, just the, my family dynamic wasn't one that allowed for that. My, my, um, my home life wasn't one that, that provided us a lot of opportunities to go and see the world, so to say. So when I picked up a camera, I was like, this is it. This is the tool. This is the thing that could take me to all these places. And I, I really like told myself that. And I even, the last job I had before I, before I quit school and I quit, um, I quit my job and pursued photography. It was, um, working in a magazine store because in some way I thought that maybe by, you know, surrounding myself with beautiful pictures, I would somehow get closer to those places in the magazines. And, you know, obviously that was a very false, but ultimately, um, I did a lot of art in high school. I picked up a camera and I finally realized like, this is the medium I love. This is the one, like, this is the one that could take me somewhere. And so I poured everything I had into it. You know, I poured my time, my energy. Again, I quit my job and I was just like, if I'm going to, if this is something I'm going to do, I'm going to give us everything. And that's exactly what I did. So I, I gave it, you know, everything I had. And, um, you know, it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't like I was shooting action sports and, and athletes and whatnot and landscapes. It was like, I was shooting anything, weddings and senior pictures and anything you could imagine. So that's just kind of, you know, the impetus of the career and, and where, where it started. And I mean, what I think is actually so interesting about you bringing up working in a magazine store is that you've really established yourself. And for people who are listening that aren't familiar with Chris Burkhardt's work, you've really established yourself as this sort of um, like very California lifestyle. I mean, you go from, from surf, landscape, travel. Um, you worked for Surfer Magazine for quite a while. It's like you worked in this magazine store. You saw what was out there. And it's almost like a new take on the, on the old tale of the masters going to what go or the apprentice going to the masters copying seeing what they did <laughs> mastering that and then like going off into your own thing you did this in a magazine store you got to see all the great work all these great photographs and then find your own vision on what you wanted to bring to life in that sort of oeuvre totally yeah I mean it was that was my early education really was was literally it. sitting there just staring at staring at pictures on the wall and being like you know, I, I think that there was just such a hunger, you know, like that's the thing I've always told people is I'm like, talent is amazing, but, but grit and hunger and in the realest way, like that's, that's something that you can't teach. And that comes from usually often, you know, it's like years and months of kind of, you know, withholding someone, someone's talent or something like that. So I guess I just felt really compelled to, to, to want to go and fight for, for my career and, and go and fight and create something, I guess, out of nothing, you know, because there wasn't opportunities just knocking on my door, you know, it was kind of like go and do some sort of trade school or go do this. And the idea of doing something creative was foreign to myself and my family and, and everything. And I, and I felt like from the very beginning, I've had to fight tooth and nail for everything that I've ever gotten i mean we tell a lot of people uh, we tell our listeners that the the best way to learn photography not is not only to take pictures but to look at pictures and you're kind of reinforcing that it's like you really learn a lot by sitting and looking at pictures right oh yeah like 
What kind did and your family were they taking pictures also? Did you grow up in a house where some there was vacation pictures on the walls or I mean or was it just no, the like magazine? No, like I said, we never we never went on vacation anywhere. So no, there wasn't, there wasn't vacation pictures on the wall. Definitely. There wasn't. And again, like I said before, I wasn't, I didn't come from a family of creatives. Like I was the very first person in my, my immediate family who ever pursued anything kind of like that. So it was very foreign, you know, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. we all appreciated those things. We appreciated art and we loved it, but it just, you know, it was a, low income household. So there wasn't really a lot of, it was more like a, a you know, we, when you're, when you're in a situation where it's, it's kind of feast or famine, that's sort of what you're focused on. And, and the idea of even pursuing a career in the arts really was foreign to, to me or to my, my parents or anything like that. So yeah, I guess it was just very much different. You know, I approached photography even from just a different perspective of like, it wasn't really this artful thing that I, I hoped to do. I, I wanted to like put food on the table and, um, and, and get stamps in my passport. You know, that was like, from the beginning, that was like kind of the, the motto. And then that eventually evolved into wanting to like share the beauty of a lot of these places I experienced and, and obviously tell stories and whatnot. So yeah, it, it very much started as a, as a classic kind of just, uh, I guess this you was could a say trade. Career. This was, yeah. this was your craft and you were taking it seriously. You've, you've actually said your, the camera was kind of your passport. Um, you, you've mentioned that twice now and I want to actually unpack that a little bit. I love that idea. Just the, the, the metaphor of a camera being a passport or like your tool to take you somewhere, but then it's also, it literally becomes the tool that is putting these visual stamps sort of in your book, I think is, mm-hmm. is so right. powerful. When you first kind of on that first opportunity, um, and what you're saying too is like you didn't have a lot of opportunities to travel. So that first opportunity to travel, you recognized the. I've listened to, to some of your other interviews, and I've listened, read some, um, read some oh, articles cool. as well. So oh. I think, I think what's great is I, you are so tenacious. <laughs> you know, I think you have, you do have that grit. You understand the opportunity before you, and you aren't going to let it pass by. And whether that means sitting in the rain for a few extra hours to get that shot or whatever it is, but you really will stick with it to sort of see it through. Can you talk about maybe yeah. even that first opportunity you had to travel and what that, what you recognized with that? Absolutely. It's um, a great way you put it too because there's something to be said for again being the one willing to kind of wait out the harsh weather being the one willing to just sit through it and and that might literally be just blind ignorance (laughs) (laughs) um and thick-headedness you know and I've often told people I'm like you know I'm I don't see myself as being the you know the most talented most technical photographer in the world I see myself as being the one who's the most willing to endure. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, with that comes the, the, the mindset or the mantra that, you know, ultimately, you know, again, I, I kind of realized that what I lacked in skill I had to make up for with tenacity or, or something along the lines. So that honestly is like, has been, I think from day one, sort of my motto was like, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to go to a school. I'm not going to be able to go to an art school. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to have that training. So I need to make up for that by just being willing to like endure. And I, and I think that's a beautiful Work harder skill. than anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> well, they say, they say success is, is hanging on lar- after other people have let go. And yeah. You, yeah. You know? it, 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 sometimes that's well, and sometimes that's been like really painful. Right. Um, 
just sitting out there again when when the weather gets freezing and you're everything's going numb and you're out there but you're hoping that the sun breaks through or you know you're the very last one to pack it up on the beach or something like that and you know there's times where it's it served me really well and times it's been really again like I said painful but I think just that mentality like I've tried to bring to photography is more of a blue collar aesthetic like I can outwork somebody while I don't think that the talent was necessarily there to begin with um, I felt like I could learn that and um, I really did try to put in those 10,000 hours early on you know I tried to put in that time to um, to really like like not just learn my craft but perfect my craft and I think that what becomes really beautiful is the moment the camera becomes an extension of your body is when you can start to kind of focus on the creative and not just like fight or flight like oh my gosh I'm seeing something beautiful but I don't know how to capture it how far how far into it were you before that happened I you know it it honestly that's the thing is it definitely took a couple years like and again I was starting out shooting weddings and senior pictures and everything but it, it really was just I dedicated every waking second breathing, living photography. And so um, that really culminated in experience I had where uh, during my, this did when I, I traveled the coast of California up and down, um, I spent 50 days uh, in a Volkswagen bus and it eventually became my first book I ever did at a very young age. But, but granted that, that wasn't the intention in the beginning. The intention was like, Oh, I'm just going to have this, you know, amazing trip with an incredible friend. And it was going to be such an uh, awesome experience. And what ended up happening was, you know, I, I received, it's a, kind of a long story, so I don't want to bog us down with it, but I received a, a grant for like the best upcoming kind of surfer photographer. And I spent every dollar of that doing this trip. And it really taught me the value of long-term projects because we've spent 50 days documenting the California coast from border to border, Oregon to Mexico. And, and this is the time, California Surf Project. Is that right? Just just so everyone yeah. knows what book yeah, you're talking yeah. about. Great. The California yeah. Surf And that project. was really like, the, that crystallized the experience. That crystal, because again, when you're waking up shooting and you're going to bed shooting, in-depth article about the power of a road trip for the modern day photographer and how it affected not only my life, but Ansel Adams, Jimmy Chin, Keith Lazinski, all these really talented people within my kind of sphere, I would say. So you'd recommend how that as a that, part of the process? Well, it doesn't have to be a road trip, but the point of it is that when you when you live and breathe with your camera and you don't just pick it up lackadaisically, like, oh, I'm going to grab it Monday at five and Tuesday at three, and I'm going to I'm going to practice photography. You know, we always call it like we, we always think it's weird to say practice photography, but the reality is if you're not practicing it, you're not you're not elevating your talent or your skill set, then then you're not growing, you know, like, like an athlete, you need to like exercise this thing. So that road trip or whatever you want to call it, a road trip is just a nice way of thinking about it because you you're immersed in it. And so that immersion is an incredible and formative process for, for I think anybody to really grow and learn and come to an understanding of what they have to offer. And for me, that was critical. And so I, I do, I do. And I have, um, suggest that to everybody I can think of. So would you say, I mean, you're so amazingly good. Do you feel like you continue to grow? Are you getting better? Have you hit- oh, I mean, yeah. And 100%. how? I mean, absolutely. You know what? <laughs> well, good question. Um, to be honest, I don't think that my growth these days is in photography at all. I mean, that's a, it's a super deep passion of mine. I love using the camera, but 
as I've gotten older, I've realized that all I want to do is tell meaningful stories. And that Mm -hmm. has taken place of films and books and speaking and podcasts and producing and creative directing and consulting. And it, it, you know, it forces you to wear a lot of hats. And I'm, I'm sure as you know, like, yes, the camera is an amazing tool, but to just your whole life say, I'm a photographer, I'm a photographer, that can feel really limiting. So ultimately over the last decade that I've been doing this, I've tried to extend myself to understand different ways of telling stories through mediums that are, that are unique, you know, and, and in their own different from photography. Well, and you, I mean, just talking about this growth and this personal growth, you've written a children's book and it's about a boy who sort of, um, sort of fearlessly goes on this global adventure. And there's, uh, I was looking at some of your other, other photographs. I want to talk about that book. Uh, I want to talk about that book and maybe how, uh, that growth opportunity, that stretch project has helped you as you come back to photography or speaking or creative directing. But, um, there's this picture that you took in Iceland and it's like, I think it's glacial flow. I'm not actually sure, but it's a yellow plane that is like flying over these, um, glacial rivers and maybe you know what it is, but it looks like a painting behind this plane. And it is, stunning yeah. and for something about that picture really reminded me of the illustration in the children's book so I was I was curious like what was the inspiration for the book to start and also what was the inspiration for the style of illustration that you ended up choosing for the book um excellent question and I'm, I'm really honored that you even like remember that in general but because uh, to be honest the, the children's book it's funny like again this this all really ties together fairly beautifully I think but um, let, it's like I'll you've practiced viewers, this before. You know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no, it's just, just that um, I think that there's a, a beautiful connection here. And the, the connection really is that ultimately I aimed, I aimed and I aim to speak to different audiences. And that was, that was like, that's from a business perspective, like monetary, of course, because if you're just, if you're just preaching to the choir or you're just talking to the echo chamber, then your work is not getting out to anybody new. And I, I really thrive. I really, I really pride myself on trying to speak to new audiences. Right. And that's a big part of what makes you, I think, successful in this world, in this realm. And so the children's book was the byproduct of, well, I'm a dad, I have kids. Um, I have two boys. And so I wrote it for my boys, you know, Um, I also understand that there's a need a deep need for for stories that inspire children yeah um and i knew that i knew that for me i couldn't just give them a bunch of beautiful images and 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 give them like you know tell them this is here and this is there and you you need to go see it for yourself um for them it was different right you have a different modality of connecting with them and speaking to them and, and and that was why i wrote that book um and ultimately it was a challenge for myself it forced me to to again interpret creativity and passion and inspiration in a different way. Now, the book was illustrated by a digital artist that I chose and that we, we kind of project. But the point of it was that, yes, it was derivative of, of a lot of my images. It yeah. was derivative of see that. the things that were really in- inspiring to me. Yeah, and, and it was really the marriage of his skill and my skill. And we, we based the images, um, or the illustrations rather, on some of my favorite photographs. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And the title of the book for everyone yeah. is The Boy Who Spoke to the Earth. And it's uh, obviously written by Chris Burkhart, but the artist is David McClellan. Yep, exactly. And <laughs> Glad we got it's that funny because, right. you know, I have two boys. The book was 
kind of written for my boys, but it's, it's a story that's really meant to translate to anybody, young girl, young boy, whatever. Right. And, um, I really wanted to just put something different out there in the world. So that's been a really powerful tool for me. I feel like that's great. It's very cool. I want to take us in a, in a kind of a different direction for a second. I have two, two lines of questioning. And the first, like for me, I use a, a camera sometimes to, um, escape from things it's a social modulator but you don't seem like the kind of guy who's gonna be escaping from things do you feel like um it takes you out of an experience to be behind that camera and you have to get rid of it to or how do you manage that because you're a spectator with the camera and you seem like a real participant in life (laughs) well you know this is this is funny because both things right so i think in order for me to be an effective photographer, I need to absolutely be um, be able to be introverted, be able to kind of connect with my work, be able to like not think about anything other than than photography. That's it, mm-hmm. hands down. But in order for me to share stories, so it's a weird thing. It's a back and forth. You know, it's like mm-hmm. an introverted extrovert. Like I, I, I love to be on stage. I love to share stories. I love to to you know, get hard questions and try to unpack what I felt and all those things and, and go to film premieres and yada, yada. I mean, I, that's, that's a part of the process. So you can't do one without the other in, in my, in my sphere of what I do. Yes, mm-hmm. you can be a talented photographer, a talented artist, but I think that in order to bring those stories to the forefront of people's thoughts and feelings and feeds, for example, it's going to require some elements of like loving to engage with people. And mm-hmm. I've always told people, all the time they ask me like, Oh, you know, kind of what's the secret to success on social media. And I'm like, well, it's really simple. If you don't like people, you will never find success because all it is (laughs) is a glorified, all it is is a glorified texting app. That's it. I mean, all it is is a a texting tool. So if you, if people text you and you don't text them back, what's going to happen? You're not going to retain those friendships. If you're reaching out to people and connecting with people and showing interest. So I, I think that they can both serve purposes. And I think it's just a matter of what's the, what's your, what's the means to your end, right? Like, so what is, what is your end goal of photography? My goal is to connect people with these places and try to be an advocate for, for wild locations around the world and and the environment. And, and, but if photography is just this incredibly personal tool that allows you to like, you know, deal with, you know, maybe grief or depression or, or your passion or, or get your head clear. That's amazing. And that's totally valuable and fulfilling. A perfect kind of yes and to that is it, this idea of relatability, which I've heard you um, quote about your photo- about your photography, is that you aim to create photography for the viewer and not just the specialist. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I think that the key component is like, when I'm, when I'm shooting something, there's, there's three people engaging in it, right? Or th- there's two people, there's myself and the viewer, right? There's mm-hmm. what I see and what they're going to see. Mm-hmm. And if the photograph requires a lot of explanation, then I need to be an integral part of that experience. Like the photo of the plane with the crazy braided river that you were talking about, right? Like people might not know what that is. And yes, it's art and it's subjective and that's beautiful. And a photograph is worth a thousand words. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't add your own words to it. And I don't mean saying the mountains are calling and I must go because that's just stealing (laughs) a quote from giving your own visceral experience of what it felt like to be there. That's so powerful. That's so engaging. And that's that's really what people are hoping to see. And, And that's what I've always tried to usher young creatives to realize is like, 
you know, you're the one that stood there and took the picture. So if you're not willing to open your mouth and share what it meant to you, what it felt like to be there, you're going to miss out so much on being able to connect with people or being able to share that, that experience in a deep way. Now, again, that's kind of the, the goal here for me is like, I aim to create images that they don't necessarily need explanation, mm-hmm. but it, it goes so much further to be able to explain what you meant and what it felt and, um, and, and really why you did what you did. Right. And, and I think that just in 2020, knowing people's intentions and the nuances of why we think the way we think or the way we do the way we do. I mean, that's an important thing that we've learned. Like a lot of people just seem to want to scream into the void. Right. And I think that if anything, um, creating a body of work that is meant to be around a lot longer than you are, which yeah. I'm mm-hmm. hoping for, and I know a lot of other people are hoping for, and it, it's it's nice to to have a purpose behind that work, and it's nice to to understand what it's for. And this is why I really enjoy working on projects, right? Like working on a project that has a means to an end, right? Uh- I, I don't want to get technical because we're not a technical podcast, but I am curious. No, we can, we can do it. No, no, no. I, our audience won't even want to. Uh, <laughs> no, but what I want to know is like how much post-production goes into one of your pictures, gen- generally speaking. Is it like a lot of work or is it just a little bit of color correction? Do you ever add or remove any elements from it in Photoshop or is that philosophically – I never remove, I never remove anything except for dust particles mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. I have on the sensor. Um, no, I never, I never remove anything. I never add, you know, people or things, or I never add, I never even shoot plates. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, all that stuff is cool. I, I, the stat image stacking and the Photoshop, I, all that stuff is great. But for me, the challenge comes from creating it in camera, yeah. right? The joy, the beauty, the, the struggle comes from creating it in camera. Um, and, and ultimately, that, that's just like a personal thing, you know, that's not, mm-hmm. it's not to say that it, it's wrong. It's just the way that I like to do it. And to be honest, um, you know, I'll have people sometimes they're like, oh my gosh, there's no way that can look like this, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, you know, you just need to get outside a little more. Because <laughs> to be honest, um, to be honest, I mean, stuff, it, the world is in a really amazing place. And I think that the moment that we kind of see, um, what's really available and out there, um, it, it blows our mind. How much of your pictures comes from you just being out in the world on a plane or doing this or your friends are surfing and you're like, oh my God, look at that, and you grab your camera versus like, okay, the waves will be building till five o'clock, the sun will be over there, I want send someone out now and I'll wait here. Like how, how much is, is serendipitous and how much is planning? Yeah, you know, it's funny because – that's one of the things I've actually, it's a great question. It's one of the things I've loved about surf photography, for example, and why I think it's the most awesome thing to shoot in the world because it teaches you incredible patience. Like you're waiting on the wind, swell, tide, conditions. You're waiting on all that stuff, right? And, and why? Because that's what you need to get the job done. Like that's what you you, you need to, to, to score. And that's a really funny and crazy kind of situation because ultimately no other type of photography forces you you can plan and plan and plan and plan and plan but nothing is really going to prepare you for when you get there and you have to just see if the conditions unfold so i do i would say that a huge part of my work is is that kind of mixture of like i i do a lot of research personally i love researching my trips my locations the wind swell tide that's just ingrained in me for my Mm -hmm. career path Mm -hmm. but once i get there 
I tend to just let it go, you know, for because of the fact that I know I can't control so many elements. And I know that I'm just going to have to be subject to this location in this place. Can I ask what led to, um, I think this is kind of a bit of a tangent as well, but uh, your photography has now, you've sort of evolved into a filmmaker as well. And you've made a beautiful film called Anur, um, which is about an Icelandic father and his daughter uh, that he's sort of, he's a photographer, a surf photographer, uh, and he's like mm. teaching her to surf off of the coast of Iceland. Adorable. Can you talk about a little bit between about the serendipity of what you're planning on shooting for this documentary film and and letting things happen? Yeah. I mean, ultimately when it comes to like, you know, I, I have a, you know, nowadays hard to answer that question. Just one answer, right? Like, so nowadays most of my work is commercially based, meaning I do most of the jobs I do for big clients or, or what and whatnot. Even the film owner was something that was endorsed um, and supported by, by brands. Right. And, um, what I mean by that is like, ultimately I couldn't have done that film without, um, without the support of Sony or, um, or, or some, or anybody else who billabong, whoever helped with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, now when I, when I'm suggesting, uh, a project like that, ultimately we're going in and we're kind of storyboarding it and, and everything. So I, there's not a ton of room for like, or like just explore it like when there's money on the table and there's deadlines and there's, there's expectations. It takes away some of the serendipity, mm -hmm. so to say. And, and I would say that commercial work, there's like not a lot of serendipity at all. Like you're planning everything out, right? Like no, yeah. no big fortune 500 is going to be like, we're going to pay a quarter of a million dollars for you to go out and have fun and just see what you get. You know, they <laughs> need something in return. They need something to sell up. I mean, and actually that's like kind of my side of the world is I'm, you know, yeah. creative director. And so I'm giving, you know, giving briefs out and sort of having, you have these exactly. sort of expectations. Um, and so I was, yeah, I was really curious to know how much of it for you is being able to communicate yeah. that plan. And then just so that it's, it's, it gives people a level of comfort, I think, you know, like, okay, he's got a plan. He plan he, he figures things out and knowing they look at then your book at how talented you are, that it's like, okay, even if something happens, he's got this um but uh but it is it is sort of like that you have to you have to have this framework and it does take away a little bit of serendipity is there anything that has happened and this could be in any of your projects but where something is just sort of gone pear-shaped <laughs> and you're you know the yeah, best laid plans that, that, right well i wanted to answer your, your first question which is that yes on those projects like you you storyboard you storyboard everything is kind of flushed out but if you don't leave room for anything out of the ordinary it can feel very formulaic and it can yes, feel very robotic point. and you need to good breathe point. life into these projects so it's kind of one of those situations where again you plan you plan you plan but then once you get there you, you have like maybe you have these cue cards you have these you know these scene cards but really like you're also allowing yourself to be open like what's because because here's the thing is like i'm a big i'm a big proponent of um the more you know the less you need and so the yeah. more you the more you educate yourself, the more you plan, the more you can be open to new experiences because you're not like you, you don't feel overwhelmed and weighted down by like, what do we have to do? What? And I think experience is a part of that. And, and yeah, there's been a lot of trips. I mean, there's been trips where everything's gone wrong. We've had a storyboard, but, you know, we went to Patagonia for a company one time and we were hoping to like be in the mountains and we never saw the mountains. It was foggy and rainy the entire time. And so the story we told 
the story we told, which was actually really successful, was about when everything goes wrong and how mm. you make the most of it. And that was like yeah. a really, it was a really crazy story, kind of a pain, but really worth it. Wow. I'm curious, is there anywhere, I mean, you've been all over the planet, and I'm not going to ask how many countries you've been to, but is there any place you're still dying to go that you just haven't come up with a reason to go there professionally and you want someone to send you there? Yeah, you know, to be honest, yes. And I'm glad you said that, like that, because that's always the biggest part of it is like, I have places I dream of going, but I, I have the responsibilities of an office and a family and, you know, this and that. And so I, I don't justify just traveling just to travel. I mean, it's never been like that for me. You know, even when I first picked up a camera, it was always like I traveled for work and that was it. And it's still kind of it. And I, I don't, I just don't think I can justify burning jet fuel for fun. Mm. And and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I, I think that in general, like I, I usually look for places that somebody, a brand or whomever can take me. Um, and that's really been a big part of kind of my process is like finding those excuses, finding those, those, those brands willing to take you somewhere or to, to buy into your crazy idea. So the answer is yes, I have a laundry list of places Tell us that I would some. love to go. A lot. Oh, I mean, you know, islands off the coast of everywhere, basically like <laughs> back to the Kirills, you know, back to remote Norway, Vardo, this and that. I mean, it's it, it, the Kerguelen's. It's not, it's, it's going to be irrelevant unless somebody looks on a map. So wow. um, it's not like we're going to be able to converse about most of these places, uh, but basically most of them share something in common. And that's the important thing is that the places that I get excited about are where there's a lot of vertical relief. And what I mean by that is usually it's a location where the mountains meet the sea in a very dramatic way. Like, and, and that's what I mean by vertical relief is like, you, you're going to go to, you know, the remote islands of Norway and you're going to see just the steepest, granite walls meeting the ocean and that creates drama that i really love to capture and that's why i think the north atlantic and the ring of fire and places like that have been have been one of my favorite subjects to document do you have a a a group of traveling troubadours who you just say we're going to norway and they're like let's go you know or or like are you find people local (laughs) at each place or is it your crew that you know you can work with um you know to be honest i would never travel with someone i didn't trust i mean just the reality is like you know, you have random people that reach out all the time. And they're like, I want to join you. And I'm like, that would be awesome. And, and you're probably really talented. But, you know, if I'm going somewhere that I'm going to have to, like, actually put my life in your hands, that's a very scary scenario. You know, it's a very it's a very dangerous thing. And I, and I just would think that um, I just would think that ultimately most people that I travel with are either friends or colleagues that I've worked with. They've some of them have been interns. Some of them I've hired from recommendations from somebody else but also you know i spend some years i spend as much time with my employees um as i do with my family and and it's really important to consider you know the fact that you need to enjoy these people you need to love these people in some capacity wow absolutely you said something earlier about that's just like a it's a hard hard thing yeah But it's important. I mean, I think, and you were also just saying, it's like you, as you have more experience, you understand that you can travel with less. You don't need to have as much. It's almost like an athlete understanding just that full body awareness that they exactly what they are capable of. And earlier you'd said, when you get to the point of the camera being an extension of your human form, I love that thought. Like that you're just like, it's just, it's a piece of you and you know what you're going to get. You know what you're going to see. I read a quote 
uh, earlier, and it's about astronauts and they, you know, that they're never the same after they've seen the earth from space. And I was wondering, what is it for you? What is your astronaut moment that you knew that you realize now that you, you don't look at things the same way? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So like the, the point being that you like go to the moon and then every after, everything after that moment is different. You never look at earth the same. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that, is, yeah, I, I, that's a great, that's a great question. I've actually, I don't think I've ever heard that. That's really cool. Uh, it's a really cool concept in general, but I think that to be honest, like there, there hasn't been one significant one. There's been a lot of little ones, you know, mm-hmm. and almost every time I travel, it's, it's, um, I have those moments. And to be honest, they're, they're slightly dangerous because Yes, it's one thing when you can come back and just like, you know, internalize things and bury yourself in your closet in your room and kind of like, you know, I don't know, cry the nights away or whatever it is, because it can be really depressing coming back to real life after being on the road in a surreal environment. And everything is your senses are like on full alert and everything feels raw and real. I mean, that's a very real thing to deal with. Yeah. But coming back to a family, you need to be able to like be there for them and process things for them and and that you, you don't really have the opportunity to do that as much. And so I think that um, I've experienced so many of those over the years that I've also just tried to find ways to like internalize them and process them myself. And a lot of that's through having um, a sport or a thing that I really enjoy doing, whether it's yoga, whether it's meditation, whether it's climbing or cycling, just having a way to kind of like find me time. Yeah. Um, because years ago when I was shooting surfing and I love surfing, but when you, that's all you do for work, it mm-hmm. doesn't make doing the, the actual thing very fun anymore. Right. Yeah. So I think it's like what <laughs> I've always your told job. people. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like everybody has a well, right. And that well is filled with water. And when you're home and you're filling that well up with water, you're, you're creating a reservoir so that when you go out on the road, you can pull from it and you can, you can pull and pull and pull and pull. And at a certain point, the well is going to get dry. And yes. worked out. And so when I get home, like my goal is to fill that back up. And a part of that is, yes, taking time for myself. Sometimes it means even taking an extra day before I come home just to like internalize my feelings. So I'm not just being thrust into my home life. Do you yeah. take pictures for fun? Like, okay, you're not working. Do you pick up the camera to take pictures of other stuff, your family, vacations, whatever, daily life? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, I do. Sometimes I have. I have like, you know, my film cameras and I have, I have my phone and I'll take pictures of just daily life just to remember things. But yeah, I mean, I guess the point is like, I take a ton of pictures that I don't intend to sell or use for work or anything like that. But I don't really like, oh, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm going to get up and go shoot this like super moon right now for fun. Like, I just don't really do that because I value other things more. Hmm. There was a, a, there's a Tom Rath, um, quote around contribution is the sum of what grows when you are gone. What do you hope mm-hmm. your work is like kind of the, the continuing contribution that you make after you are no longer here? You know, that's a great question. I think that um, there's a lot of work in the last couple of years that I've really tried to dive into that would, that would speak to a greater sense of, of what my mission statement is or was or my goals, right? And again, like the children's book is one of them. My other books, my other films, obviously those films started with these kind of just surf films, you know, about adventures here and there. And they they evolved and now they've evolved into more meaningful stories about fatherhood and parenting and tragedy and and life and love and loss and 
ultimately, those are issues that I am trying to address in my own life. And that's why I've taken pictures of this stuff. You know, it's why I've, um, you know, in Iceland, for example, you know, my, my book, Ike Glacier's End, which advocates for the creation of a national park within the country and documents its fragile river systems. That's a book that I hope lives on forever. And that's a body of work that I hope lives on forever. So there's not one singular thing I hope my work speaks to in 20, 10, 20, 30 years, but it's just an overall care and concern for mother nature and what it's provided me and what it's given me and what it's given all of us. And whether that's, again, advocating for wild spaces, whether it's speaking to the relationship of fathers and daughters or to our own kids, like that's my, my goal. I love that. Mm. If, um, Mm. We ask this question of every photographer we have on the show. So I know it's a big one, <laughs> but if you could describe your work in one word, what word would you choose? My work in one word, yes, what word I, would I choose? And you can hyphenate if you, if you want. So, I mean, we're a little flexible on this. <laughs> the, the, the word is timeless, right? That's, that's it. Like, that's all I care about. I, I care Just, about creating work that isn't dated, that doesn't feel like it was shot in a certain era, that has a sense of anonymity that can connect with people because it's relatable, right? And I think that that timelessness is what I what I strive to create in every photograph. Like I would love for someone to look at it and not be able to date it, not know when it was shot, you know? Yeah. I see that you t- like your style, if that's the word, is often to have anonymous subjects, I imagine, to allow the audience to put themselves in those pictures. You rarely see a caption that's like, this is Joe Smith surfing, even if, you know, it's generally just like an amazing shot of some anonymous person out there. So you've embraced that. That right. helps bring and, and people in. the fact in. that any person viewing my work could relate to that, that's what makes it so strong. You shoot, you create timeless images by often having a sense of anonymity. It doesn't matter if it's professional or not. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes I'm working with professionals, but I'm trying to make them look like they could be anybody by showing silhouettes or by using strong use of light, by those those you know ancillary things that really help the image kind of relate to everybody. You mentioned style, or Ruben actually mentioned style. I've noticed there are actually blog posts around how to create captivating travel photos like Chris Burkhart. How do you <laughs> feel about that? <laughs> I think it's are you awesome. Flattered? I mean, are that's, you annoyed? <laughs> I'm super flattered, like incredibly flattered. That's honestly the coolest thing I could ever think of. I mean, I don't, I don't really, I, I mean, so much of kind of, um, so much of what I strive to do is get people outside and get people outdoors. So I would be, I would be, it, it would be a, a farce if I was like, Oh man, I don't want people emulating me or shooting. I don't care about that at all. I mean, and I think again, this is a, you know, a part of why I don't really strive to be the best photographer in the world in 2020. I just strive to be a good storyteller. And, and ultimately I want people to emulate what I've done, what I've created, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if, if you've seen the tutorial, it's pretty straightforward, right? And again, anybody could do that. It's it's not, and I think that if, if somebody's style, in my personal opinion, this might be just very opinionated, but <clears throat> if your style of work is highly dependent on a very, very heavy or intensive editing process or an extensive amount of Photoshop, that's, that's not sustainable as a body of work because that's going to always force you to be at the helm, at the heart of everything you do, and your business can't grow that way, Right. So no, my, my, my style is really rooted in just in, in natural light 
and then trying to create a sense of, again, timelessness through everything I'm shooting. Mm. Well, I, it's probably time that we need to wrap this up, but I wanted to ask, is there anything else that you wanted to use this opportunity to promote uh, any new films or books or anything that, or t- uh, maybe virtual, you know, tutorials or anything like Something that that you might up, want to anything want to promote to happen, you know? Yeah. Damn it. You guys are so kind. Um, to be honest, there's, there's nothing really that's coming. I mean, I've got a lot of little things coming out, but honestly, <clears throat> you just nailed it with the books and the film and, everything I did do a um a business photography workshop that I'm really proud of because it it really dives into like mostly the failures that I've seen along the way and some of the successes and how to run a successful photography studio and how to work with agents and how to work with a bookkeeper and how to diversify (laughs) your income etc etc and it's just gotten incredible reviews and I would I'd be really excited to potentially share that um but that would be great where yeah it was created by the wildest co uh wildest dot com w-i-l-d-i-s-t dot c-o cool we'll make sure we have a link in the show notes to that um all right I- well i will wrap this up thank you so much to our guest chris burkhart uh absolute pleasure yeah, talking so- to you you guys have to see his work online uh, go ahead sorry <laughs> you guys you guys are so kind i appreciate so much you just taking the time today it was it was really awesome it's oh re- absolutely really fun. really fun all right our show is recorded and produced in san francisco and santa cruz go to neomodern.com slash podcast to get show notes see photos and post comments don't forget to subscribe on spotify apple podcast or wherever you're listening now we get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word so if you know someone who might get something from us send them a link thank you to mitchell foreman for our theme music chris burkhardt for joining us today and all of you for hanging out We appreciate your attention and hope we've given you some things to think about until next time.